Well, this week we begin our series on the seven deadly sins. And I've got to tell you, I know it sounds a bit morbid, but I'm really excited for this series. And uh, you're going to be thinking, I'm kind of a sicko. Uh, but it, it's, it's uh, been a fascinating study and just to focus. You know, it's kind of a big thing in Christendom, isn't it? Sin, I mean, it's kind of a churchy thing, kind of a big thing. Uh, but we don't talk about that a whole lot anymore. Afraid of offending somebody, I suppose. Um, but looking forward to what this, this series will, will give us. You know, uh, Augustine was a, a man who lived between 350 and 430 A.D. Uh, there's no way, really, we can overemphasize Augustine's significance for the early church. He came into leadership in the church at a critical, critical time. Church could have went a whole lot of different directions. Not a whole lot of things were really established yet. And um, Augustine, through his theologies that he wrote, he really used it to direct a lot of the church. He shaped a lot of theology, philosophy in the modern Western world today even. Uh, Augustine was not always a follower of Christ, though. He didn't come to know Christ until he was 31 years of age. And up to that point, Augustine kind of lived in the fast lane. I mean, he uh, was a, he had a quasi-Christian home. Mom was a believer. Dad was not. Augustine, incredibly intelligent uh, man. I'm told, anyway, you read of, very charismatic, very uh, much a leader. And he took all of that, chasing after popularity, chasing after pleasure. He was a party. He was waiting to happen. He was a playboy. He had mistresses. He had uh, children out of wedlock. Augustine had a substantial amount of baggage by the time he came to know Christ. Well, when he's 40-something years old, he's looking back over his life, and he's writing about sin. And he's looking for an example from his life that kind of epitomizes sin. And he had a whole lot of things he could choose from. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of different things. What might he pick? And so it's kind of ironic that what he chose was uh, when he was an adolescent, he and some other boys stole pears. And you think, really, is that the best you can do? Come on, anybody, you got, I know you've got more stuff up your sleeve than that, Augustine. But, but this was his, his thinking. He said that, that he and his gang were out and they played sports in the street on their way home that night. And this is, again, this is, you know, 375 um, AD. He comes to his neighbor's house and there's a pear tree in the neighbor's yard that's full of ripe pears. And so they weren't hungry. They really didn't like pears, they weren't, but they went, they stole a bunch of them. And this is what he says. He says, we carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs after barely tasting some of them ourselves. Doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart that thou didst pity even in that bottomless pit. Behold, now let my heart confess to thee what it was seeking there when I was being gratuitously wanton, having no inducement to evil, but the evil itself. What, 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 again, we think, come on, there's still something bigger. He, what he's saying is this. He says, you know, people steal money, but they really want the money. 
They steal money thinking it's going to get them something else. People end up in an illicit relationship because they've got some emotional or physical appetite they want satisfied. People sin because they're after something. He says, but in this case, I sinned not really caring for the pears just because I enjoyed doing wrong. Now, I don't know if you can relate to Augustine's angst. We don't think about it a whole lot. And we're pretty good at rationalizing. I am. And we can blame our sin on our dad and on my spouse. If my spouse was just wherever, then I went. And our kids and on our condition and on our, our situation in life and on our stress. If, if you had my situation, you'd be doing too as well. And we blame our, our sin on lots of different things. But But after that's all said and done... If you stop and evaluate your own life, don't you, haven't you had those times when you just did something or thought something, said something, something, you knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. Matter of fact, you did it because it was wrong, just because there was a thrill in doing evil. This is what Augustine is saying. Some, something in his soul, the depths of his heart and mine and in yours, there's this thirst, this this perverse enjoyment of evil. It, it's, 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 it's a sinister deal. Now, what we're going to be doing the, the next few uh, weeks is we're going to be looking over seven deadly sins. And here's, here's my thought. Um, Teresa and myself, we really probably need to clean our, 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 our basement. You know, it's really our basement is just a, a big mess is what it comes down to. And it's not finished, and so it just kind of becomes a catch-all. Whenever you have something you're not sure what to do with, I'll throw it downstairs, right? So it's all junk everywhere. And we look at each other and say, we should go clean that out. But let's do it tomorrow, right? It's just easier to close the door and just go on with your life without dealing with that. I believe that some of these seven deadly sins are kind of like in the basement of our heart. And it's just easier not to deal with them. But the goal is the next uh, multiple weeks, we go down in the basement and we clean out what we do. You know, I like to, uh, I don't listen to a whole lot of music, but on occasion I'll listen to some worship music. And when I, when I, I hear something, you know, I give my soul to listening to the lyrics, and if they're good lyrics... I'm moved, and I, I kind of rededicate my life. Yes, that's right. That's what I should be about. Or, or maybe if you ever been to like a retreat, and you hear the guy speaking, and the stars, and, and you're just like, oh, and you commit, recommit your life to Christ. Or you read something in, in God's Word, or some Christian thing, and you hear somebody on, on the radio, you hear a, a, a preacher somewhere, and you go, yes, that's what I should. And so you recommit your life, but your commitment doesn't last long, does it? I mean, you're, you, you realize real quick that your ability to commit to devotion is a whole lot bigger than your ability to fulfill that commitment to devotion. I mean, something, you're just, you're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, you realize your, your mind has gone off, and it's concocting some horrific fantasy of revenge, or material gain, or self-promotion, or illicit something, and you're going, man, where did that come from? Or you're just hanging out, and, and, and life is going well, and all of a sudden you're kind of blindsided by something, some obstacle or something kicks into your, your life, and it's like Jekyll Hyde thing. You know, you're just venomous speech comes out, and it's toxic, toxic words, and, and mean, straight-up meanness. 
And you go, ma'am, where did that? Where did that? I was in, in Chicago. I was uh, at school. I had my car at school. Freshmen weren't normally allowed their car, but I had my car. And, and I was, I remember it was a Friday night, and I was out on this date with this girl. I'd been trying to ask out and finally worked up the guts to ask out. And so we're driving in my car, and if you're familiar with the city, we're going down Chicago Avenue, driving right towards or right into where Michigan Avenue is. I mean, this is high-end district. You know, this is uh, Water Tower Plaza and just lots of, there's 8 million people on the road. This is right downtown, you know, I'm getting cut off by and taxi cabs and carriages with horse things and just the people walking all over the place and everyone's on their horn and the road's got two million vehicles on it. It's only made for a thousand and, and it's just a crazy night. And I'm starting to get a little bit nervous, getting tired of cut off by stupid horses. And so I'm, I'm at a red light and right next to me is this cabbie. And we're in and it's red, but I notice as soon as we get through the red light, his lane is suddenly all parked cars. So I bet he's going to try to zoom into front of me, cut me off, and we cut off again. And he's leaning back in his chair, and he's looking over at me. And he, he guesses it just a little bit and noses himself just out a little bit in, in front of me. I'm thinking, oh, no, you don't, buddy. So I, I push, pull mine out just a little bit in front of his. I curse like an inch apart at this point, but I, I don't care. I'm ready to play bumper cars. <laughs> and so he just kind of looks at me. He pulls it up. I mean, he kind of pulls in front of me a little bit at this point. And we were like standing out halfway in the intersection at this. And I'm going, no, you don't, buddy. And so I plan what I'm going to do. As soon as that thing turns green, I'm going to guess it and go around him and cut around him and get in that lane. And as soon as it turned green, I hit the gas and I went around, but he hit the gas too. And so I went around into oncoming traffic, but then he zoomed up and I couldn't get back. And so I'm in oncoming traffic and everybody's waving at me with different signals. And there's guys behind me. The guy behind me was, 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 he moved up to the, the bumper of the cabbie so I couldn't even get back in. And so I was, I was, I did not swear, I didn't swear, I didn't swear. But I, every Christian cuss word you can imagine, I said, and I said with vehemence, and I was banging, I was on the horn, and I was finally got in, I'm frothing, it was just a bad situation. And the girl I was with, she was pretty calm the whole time, and just kind of looking at me, and just, just went, we got in, and she says, huh, you know, you never know anyone's godliness until you drive with them, I guess. That was our last date. Uh, but you, you say, well, where, where, where did that all come? That's not normally who I am. It's not what it's not what it, where did that come from? Ah, oh, crazy stuff. You know, there was a, a uh, very devoted Christian guy. His name was Evagrius. Evagrius. And, and this guy lived in, in, in 350 A.D., and Evagrius was just tired of all the sin stuff, you know, the marketing stuff, even back then, and the alluring seducements, and, and all of this stuff. And it was he just felt like this was corrupting him. So he went to a handful of other very dedicated guys who loved the Lord, who basically forsake, forsook everything to follow Christ. And he said, how about we go out in the desert and get away from this? And we'll start a commune and, and we'll be able to give ourselves to knowing God and, 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 and loving him and being, uh, living an obedient life. And they said, this is a good plan. And so they go out to the, the desert and they start this commune. And in this very ascetic, pietistic, uh, devoted commune, uh, Evagrius 
realizes something. He realizes that the sin isn't out there so much as it's in here. And he writes what was going to come to be known as the seven deadly sins. And this is what he wrote. These are what the seven deadly sins are. And the church, by the way, has embraced these things over the years to say, yes, these have the power to cripple Christianity and to cripple the church and to derail the faith of a follower. And this is what they are. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. These are the seven deadly sins. And you might look at them and go, huh, huh, really, this is, this is it. Because these don't really look that bad. I mean, not, I mean, no one wants these things in their life, right? But let's face it, if this was the worst our kids came up with, <laughs> yeah, we'd be all right. Life would be good. This is, it's, it's like seven sickly sins. You know, these are kind of just peripheral. These are not the greatest, but they're not that bad. Not really. Not really. Why are there seven? Listen, there's no Bible verse, just so you know, we're going to be real. This is this whole message today is kind of like introduction to this thing we're really going to kick into next week. But there's no Bible verse that says, here are the seven deadly sins, and they list them all. It's, it's not there. But every one of these things has their place, their spotlight time in Scripture where they are called deadly. Um, so why why seven? Why not why not ten? It would make sense, you know, like ten commandments, ten deadly sins. It would, uh, it's it's we really don't know. It's fascinating to see over the, the the centuries how people have tried to spiritualize why there's seven. You know, I mean, Christ cast out seven demons for Mary Magdalene, and these kind of are, are those. Or there were seven last words of Jesus on the cross. Or there are seven fruits of the spirit in Isaiah eleven. Or there are you know seven days in the week. Or or seven hills of Rome or seven brides and seven brothers. You know, there's just seven. It's just an important thing. That's all. We don't, it's just, just seven. Okay, there's, 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 this, this is not all the sins in the world. There's a lot more. Uh, but you say, well, deadly? Are, are you sure deadly? I mean, really? These don't? I, I, what we want to do this morning for our remaining time is we just want to go back to the very first sin ever committed. And just begin to understand some things about sin as we walk into this study. Because here's my, here's my thought. Many folk will look at this and go, well, this is, this is uh, persnickety. This is old-fashioned. This is prudish. This is not that big of a thing. Obviously, if that's our mindset, we'll never worry about dealing with these things. But my guess is that the church fathers, maybe they knew something we don't know. And so we want to just take this time to, to, to see what sin's about. If you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. You end up going to Genesis 3 often. And well, we should because, because of this. If there's an event that happens in Genesis 3, if it wasn't for that event, we would not have the rest of the Bible. What what happens here? The rest of the Bible is a response to. And if, if these guys would have just chose a little bit different, we'd have a real short Bible. Genesis one, two, and just part of three. It'd be all it'd be all done. But but just so you know, give you background to Genesis three, God had been creating stuff 
uh, first two chapters, he made, he made the, the, the planets and the stars and, and the land and the water and, and uh, vegetation and, and fowl and fish and, and mammals. And then he comes up at the end of chapter 1 to his, his grand finale. Right? This, is, this is his main, main creation. In verse 26 of chapter 1, he says this, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God needs somebody. He's going to put somebody in charge of the world. He created all this stuff. He's going to put someone in charge. And so he, he creates man and woman, not the largest of his creation, Perhaps not the most intelligent, but he creates them in his image. You say, well, what does that mean? Chapter 2, verse 7 gives us an inkling. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, I used to read this and think, oh, okay, say, so I get it. I'm picturing this man's asleep, kind of. He's like a zombie-ish. And God's going to give him mouth-to-mouth, see, and kind of kick-start his lungs. And, and he kind of wakes up, God, I'm alive. Well, good job. Um, but I don't think so. Because all the other mammals are breathing. Their lungs are working. They've got oxygen going through their system. Mankind does, does too, but... but when God breathes into him, God gives him part of himself, his own spirit into mankind. Whatever else it means to be made in the image of God, it means that mankind has some capacity for relationship with God, some understanding of who God is, of what God's will is about. Mankind is moral, understands right and wrong. No other creature does that. Mankind has... The ability, we're kind of like little gods, if I can say it that way. Don't take me out of context. Uh, Very, very incredible creation. We're not an accident. We're not just a a fluff of some pond scum that got zapped by lightning. It's just a little bit more significant than that. And then you come to chapter 3, and we don't know how much time has, has evolved, if I can use that word, from chapter 2 to chapter 3. We don't know how much time has, has passed. But chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, we know from further scripture that this serpent is Satan. But if all you had was one, two and three of Genesis, you'd look at the serpent and go, I'm, who is, what is this? What was this about? doesn't say he's Satan. Now, it says he's crafty. He's cunning. That kind of is a red flag a little bit. Huh. We know that, obviously, talking snakes must not have been a big deal for even the garden here. She's just no problem with this. But but it's, it's, it's interesting that he does not refer to God by God's personal name. Again, it's all over, especially chapter 2. 
verse 5. For the Lord God had caused it to rain on the land. That Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is God's personal name, Yahweh. And we see it all over chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust. Chapter uh, Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden of Eden. 15. The Lord God took the man. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... And on and on and on and on and on. But when Satan speaks... He doesn't say God's personal name, a name of endearment, a name you could only say really in a deep love relationship, a, a name that would remind you that God is for you. Ah, the, the serpent just happened to forget that here. And, and then he, he questions God, doesn't he? Did God actually say you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I, this is pretty subtle. Maybe he's innocent. Maybe he really just didn't hear and didn't understand. Oh, 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 yeah, I'm sorry. I, just, I didn't get that. But this is the very first time God was questioned. And God's commands were challenged. Uh, it gets Eve thinking about that. And she says, oh, no, no, we can, we can eat. But we can't eat from this one. We can't even touch it or we're going to die. And then the serpent says to the woman, straight up contradiction, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He calls God's motivation into question. He's he's saying, Eve, 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 help me understand. I mean, why do you think? God won't let you eat the tree in the midst of the garden. I mean, this one's right in the middle. Everything else is secondary. Everything else points to it. This is the tree. It's in the middle. It's the one. It's obviously the best. Why doesn't God want the best for you? I, I mean, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. But I, I wonder how this tastes. It probably tastes better than that. Once you taste this, I'm guessing the other stuff is going to be nothing. Why doesn't he want you to have that? He says, says, Eve, you know what? You you need this. And Eve says, I don't need anything. I'm I'm perfect. And Satan says, no, 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 Eve, 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 you're you're, you're good and all. But see, you're you're not God, Eve. And you could be God. Uh, This past week I watched, uh, maybe a week ago, Teresa and myself went to The Greatest Showman, uh, enjoyed the movie. Um, I won't spoil anything for you if you, if you didn't see it. It's the life of P.T. Barnum, though. And at one point, Barnum gets himself in some trouble. And he says this. He says, I just wanted to be more than what I was. It's just a haunting phrase. It's Eve here. I just wanted to be more than what I was was Eve had the same temptations you and I have Satan has never changed his strategy you'd think maybe he'd mix it up but he doesn't I guess he doesn't need to um, because those things that God has told us not are things we need they're things that will make us important and things that will give us joy and things that will get to keep us from getting into trouble and the things that will, will help us have a more enjoyable, peaceful, comfortable life. Why would God say no? That's all Satan's got to do is put that in her mind. Yeah. Why would he, why would he say no? And if you think about the, 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 the sin, 
It's not a big thing, right? It's not like they were, Adam and Eve were going to go murder anybody. Of course, there's no one to murder, I suppose. But, but they could have killed each other. Or they could have went on some goofy rampage and, and slaughtered the animals in the garden. Or they could have vandalized the garden. Or they could have got involved in some perverted sexual little thing. And, or they maybe could have worshipped the serpent. They could have been doing a lot of really bad stuff. This is not that big of a thing. This is, this is picking a piece of fruit. That's not, a, that's not a big thing. I mean, the fruit's on the, it's just stewardship of the garden, for crying out loud. And God told us he wants us to watch over this, and it's just stewardship of the garden. And we're not taking a lot. We're not, we're not taking, we're not going to give it to the hogs, and we're not, we're just going to take one piece. Just one, it's a little thing. It's a little thing. It's like, it's like something like on the seven deadly sin list. It's just a small thing. It really, but what's the result of a little thing? It's deadly. Verse 6, it says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This, 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 this instance here, all disease in the whole history of the world can be traced back to here. All accidents trace back to here. All pain trace back to here. All natural disasters trace back to here. If they would have just chosen otherwise, right? But verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, that's gonna, we're going to talk about how that's... It's deadly because it separates from God. But but here, I think this separates from each other. All sin, here's a, here's a principle you see. All sin separates people from each other. It breaks down your relationships. Adam and, and, and Eve, at one point, they were perfectly together. There was nothing dividing them, nothing between them. And now... Their relationship is characterized by, by shame. They're hiding even from each other. What they enjoyed before, they don't enjoy anymore. And they won't. It's, 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 it's broken. It's broken. He says, verse 8, it says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, Yahweh God, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. It's the first time fear, the word fear appears in the Bible. It's the first time fear in the creation of the world. I was thinking this, this week, okay, Mark, what are you afraid of? There's some things. Are you afraid of, of your health? Are you afraid of your future? Are you afraid for your children? Are you afraid of, maybe you're afraid that you will never find love in this world. Maybe you're afraid that you're so broken because of whatever's transpired that you're never going to be fixed in this world ever. Maybe you're afraid of what may happen. You're afraid of things that have happened that continue to haunt. Fear, all fear is right here. And so Adam 
Here's God coming, and what's he do? He runs. He hides from previous up to this point. It says that, that Adam and Eve walked with God. Now, that's physically, I have no, no, maybe, yeah, okay. But it's much, much bigger than that. A- Amos asks this question, real key question Amos asks. He says, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? When, when, when God and man walked together in the cool of the garden, they were ag- agreed. They were one in a sense. God's ways were man's ways. God's thoughts were man's thoughts. Man recognized who God was as his creator. He was the creature. It was perfect relationship. But now, when sin enters, it's a little sin. It's just taking a piece of fruit. When sin enters, man's a- afraid. Life is now scary. There's things threatening him. Legitimately so. He runs and he hides from God. His relationship with God is broken. When these little sins, the seven deadly sins that look more like seven sickly sins, when we allow them, we got to know it's going to destroy our relationship with other people. It just will. We think, well, I'm... No one knows my lust. It's not going to affect anything. It will make you someone, though. And it will make you such that you will never be for your spouse, which you could be. You will never be towards your children. You will never be for Christ because you're going to be plagued a little bit with, I'm kind of a hypocrite. When any of these sins that we embrace will, 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 will hurt our relationships, they will hurt your friendships, they will, whenever you, and you know it, because you find someone who hangs on to sin, you don't want to be around such people. It, it destroys, it destroys, the little sin destroys your intimacy with God. Now here's the deal. Even if you are a believer in Christ, when Christ died, he took all of your sin, past, present, and future, and it is gone. But yet, 1 John reminds us of this, that when we hold on to our sin, it, it destroys the intimacy with our father. If, if uh, my dad, he's gone now, he's passed now, but when he was alive, if, if ever growing up, I blew him off. And I just straight up disobeyed him. There was something between my dad and I. We would get together and, and talk, but I knew there was something there. Intimacy was broken. And until I came to my father and repented and asked forgiveness, so when I did that, we were all restored. When we hold these sins, you will never be what you could be spiritually. You'll never fly as high as you could Spiritually, You'll never know intimacy with God like you could spiritually if you're holding these, 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 these sins. And if we went on, um, God's going to step in uh, and, and, and pronounce curses. And he's going to say this. Sin does some other things as well. Sin will destroy peace. You know, up to this point, uh, these guys had life kind of handed to them on a silver platter, but not so much anymore. No, no, now it's, it's, it's a battle. There's going to be issues. Now, before it was a silver platter time. Now it's going to be just about, the name of the game is survival. Just see if you can keep your head from going under. That's what it's going to be now. Uh, sin destroys comfort. All sin. God's going to go on and say, because you've sinned, guess what? Pain. Physical pain. Emotional pain, mental pain. You know, we've we've experienced that. All pain. It's right from here. Please know, sin, sin, 
Just no one knows. It's deadly because it creates pain in your life. God doesn't want you to have to have pain in your life. Uh, sin is going to destroy harmony. The curse is going to uh, provide for uh, letting us know there will be issues between man and wife from this point on. God's not given that that. It's what sin ushered in. But from this point on, contention. There is, is destruction of nature as well. Uh, suddenly death is, is, is now all of our, every single, no one gets out of this alive, right? Every single one of us have a date with, with, with death. This is the biggest thing I think that, that, that sin destroys, and it's because it destroys God's glory, it is sin destroys your ability to enjoy what God has given you for the purpose of enjoyment. God gives us gifts richly to enjoy. This world he's created for us to enjoy. Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it fully. But sin keeps us. Whatever we, we embrace or hide, it keeps us from enjoying the life God's given us. You know, when I was, uh, I, well, I forget when, my kids, my boys were little. And we were very, very, very uh, conservative homeschool type people. And kids, my kids loved Christmas because they were going to get books or underwear or some sort of educational thing. And, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, this is going to be good. But one year, I remember, what we did is Teresa and I went in and we, we got my guys a, a, a GameCube. They were game, and we thought, you know, we told them, you know, games are horrific and they're from the devil and all this stuff. But, but, but so they were thinking, oh, yeah, but we got them a GameCube. And just sitting back as a dad, watching them open that and watching them freak out when they realized it wasn't, you know, educational books in the box. It was actually a GameCube. They were like, ah. for me, I was so, so pleased. So I can tell you the enjoyment I faced in that. When, when we enjoy the gifts God has given us, God is, is glorified. God is pleased. And we shoot ourselves in the, we, we take our enjoyment and we replace it with coping by embracing sin. I had a, a friend a while back, I mean, I still do, she just lives in a different state now, which is a counselor person. And she said, you know, the longer I've done this, the more I realize that your ability to enjoy life today is really dependent on what you've done yesterday. Your ability to enjoy life today. And all the things that God has given is dependent on what you've done yesterday. You know, I, I, I look at this, and, and, and the saddest part of, about this sin stuff is that it, it reproduces itself. Adam and Eve uh, became sinners when they sinned. They were the only ones that's ever done that. Just so you know, that's not true for us. You and I sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's from this point on, Scripture will tell us that it's every single person born is going to be born with a spiritual birth defect. And it's just kind of in our spiritual genes, like a, a, what, what Augustine found, our, our thirst for evil. If you get us in the right place and right situation, that's what, will, that's what will come out. When, when, we, when we 
think about, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you followed this, you go to chapter 4, Cain and Abel. And you know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, fascinating. Cain and Abel should have known problem with sin because the Garden of Eden was still there. They just couldn't get in it. And they had to pull their dad aside and say, tell us about that place. And he said, oh, it was phenomenal. But, but I'm telling you guys, don't sin because it's messed us all up. And you'd think they'd say, we're never going to sin. But next chapter, chapter 4, God comes to Cain and says, I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. And God doesn't show up to everybody in the Bible. We think he does. He doesn't. But he shows up to Cain. And what's Cain do? He does it. It's almost like he couldn't not do it. And then you would think that that's where it ends because Cain would be banished after killing his brother Abel. And that night around the dinner table, Adam and Eve's dinner table, they're missing Abel. He's gone. They'd never seen anyone die before, but they had to bury Abel that day. Cain has been banished. They'll never, ever see him again or their grandkids again. And because sin messes up your relationships... And you think they'd say, please, don't ever sin again. Nobody sin. Let's, we're on the same page here, right? No one's sinning. And you think everyone would say, yeah, man, we're not doing that. But then chapter 6, 7, and 8, it's all, it's, 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 it's horrific. Chapter 6, look, listen to, to this. It says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds from the heaven. I'm sorry that I made them. And so you've got the whole Noah and the ark story. And, and again, we think that's a kid's story. That's not a kid's story. That's one of the worst stories of judgment in the Bible. They get the animals in, and then Noah and his family gets in. God has to close the door. It starts raining. And can you just imagine the people? Come to the ark and, whoa, hey, guess what? It's raining out here, Noah. Open the door and let us in. They can't. There's no handle. God closed the door. And then, uh, hey, it's getting deep. Hey, would you just let, let, let little Harry in? Harry's never done anything. Come on, come on, guys. He's only four. Please open and let him in. And they couldn't. And as the waters rise, they hear the people screaming. They hear people knocking at the door. They hear the people dying. And you would think, you would think that the folk in the ark saying, sin's a bad deal, man. We're not, we're never doing this again. Never, never, never. It's done. But guess what happens? Chapter 9, as soon as the ark is landed, Noah plants a field. He gets drunk. And the scripture doesn't give us the specifics, but one of his sons, Ham, goes in and does something to him in his naked body. We don't know exactly what it is, but then he brags about it, and then he gets banished. And, and, and then it carries on to the world again with the Tower of Babel. I mean, sin is just something that it's part of who we are. It's, it's, in, it's in the depths of who we are. Now, here's, here's, here's the, the challenge, uh, the the. the goal for me for for y'all for this series would you be willing to pray a simple prayer it comes out of psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 and here's the words it says search me O god and know my heart i need to clean the basement of my heart would you search me would you try me and know my thoughts and just see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of life